Welcome to Heart of Worship Church Podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe either through iTunes or the RSS feed located on the podcast page at heartofworshipchurch.com. All right, tonight we're going to do a Bible study. It's going to be a little different. You know, I haven't I haven't taught in a while. Christy's been doing this series, so it might be a little rusty. We're going to jump back into it, but God didn't cut me no slack because I'm going to jump back into it on something very fresh, new, different, strange. I originally started thinking I was going to do a little seri- a little lesson on blessings and cursings because the first scriptures he gave me were on blessings and cursings. Well, then Monday while I was praying for the daily manna, I started to write it and kind of went into a little excerpt of the story of Balaam and Balak. So as I'm going through that for the man, I'm thinking, oh, well, this is a really good example of blessings and cursings and what brings it about so we can add that into the Bible study. Well, when I sat down that night to start working on the Bible study, started making some connections, started reading through the story, started seeing a lot of parallels to a lot of stuff we see happening in a lot of churches today kept going through it, started finding this name, Balak, son of Gore, throughout Scripture, not just in the Old Testament story, but all the way to the book of Revelations. There's references to people and even churches and doctrines following the doctrine of Balaam. So we ended up basically coming to the point where I'm like, okay, it seems to be a factor where we're seeing through Scripture what we might call the spirit of Balaam. When we say in the spirit of something, we're really just saying in the character of. When somebody says, oh, that church is dealing with a spirit of Jezebel, what they're really just saying is that something is coming against that church that is acting like Jezebel did in the Bible. So when I say the spirit of Balaam, I'm saying something that is acting in the character of Balaam. The Bible actually refers to it as following the doctrine of Balaam. So to look into this, we're going to go through the entire story of Balaam. So we're going to start. Go ahead and uh, pull it up, Danny. Start us in Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. I got a question. What? What is the name Balaam? Balaam. I looked it up. The etymology of the name Balaam is not clearly defined. They don't know the origins of it in rabbinical text in history, there's a lot of plays on the name coming from Baal and a lot of plays on the name referring to flesh. In the Muslim culture, it goes back to being referred to as a dog or something to that nature. Um, But there's no clear distinction of what the name actually means. He was from an area known as Baal Pure, so they believe that maybe it could have been a combination of his name actually being Am and Baal just being a a prefix. They don't know. I was ready for you. So, starting in Deuteronomy 30, verse 15, I'm just going to read it from the board. See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil, in that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. 
This is, of course, God speaking to the Israelites, but it's Moses speaking, giving God's commandment to the Israelites. Keep going. But if thou heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away, and worship other gods, and serve them, I denounce unto you this day, that ye shall surely perish, and that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land, whether thou passest over Jordan to go and to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord sweareth unto thy father, to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. All right, and you can stop there. Uh, if you want to go into further detail, you can start around Deuteronomy 27, 28, and you can read. He gives like a whole chapter of blessings and like a whole chapter of cursings. If you do all of this, then you will be blessed. If you do not do all of this, you will be cursed. Basically, the essence of being cursed is simply not obeying God. Because all of his list of this is what you got to do to be blessed, he went back over it and said, if you don't do it, you're cursed. So to summarize it, obey and you're blessed. Disobey and you're no longer blessed, which makes you cursed by default. And this is the kind of the, the summary of all those blessings and cursings. Right. And this was God's commandments given to Moses, passed down to the Israelite people. All right, jumping ahead, go ahead to Numbers chapter 22. And we're going to enter the story of Balaam and Balak. And we're going to read the entire story, which isn't too bad, it's two chapters. All right. And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab on this side of Jordan by Jericho. And of course, this is part of the Exodus. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. Reading previous texts, they had just defeated, I believe, two other kings. Um, and they had been victorious because God was on their side. Um, and the Moabite was sore afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. So they're moving on to this new land. The current king of this land is freaking out. He's heard all these stories about how he's destroyed They've destroyed every king that has come against them that they've come through. He's looking at them. He's like, man, this is a lot of people. What am I going to do? i got to get rid of them. And Moab said unto the elders of Midian, Now shall this company lick up all that are around about us, as the ox licketh up the grass of the field. And Balak the son of Zippor was king of the, Midian, of the Moabites at that time. He sent messengers therefore unto Balaam, the son of Bor, to Pethar, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there is a people come out from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against me. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people, for they are too mighty for me. Preventure, I shall prevail, that we may smite them, and that I may drive them out of the land, for I want that he whom thou blessest 
is blessed, and he whom thou curseth is cursed. So basically he's like, we've heard that anybody you bless gets blessed, and anybody you curse gets cursed. You're very powerful. So here's my problem. I've got all these people coming in. They're going to eat up everything in the land. I don't want them on my land, but there's too many, and they're too strong. I don't think I can take them out, so I want you to curse them so that I'll have a chance of defeating them. He didn't want him to curse them, say, to take him out, because he didn't want him getting glory. He wanted the glory and the fame of being able to defeat them, but he knew he couldn't. So he's saying, curse them and weaken them, that I may be able to defeat them. Do you know what they're doing with our country now? Yes. You're going to see a, a, a very strange tactic play out, because in the story of Balaam, if you read just the story of Balaam, you think this is a good guy. But... There's a lot that's left out that you begin to see when you start taking into account things that were mentioned in other books and in the New Testament, that he really had a lot to do that was very wicked and deceitful. But you would think of him as being a prophet because he was obedient to the Lord in this story to some degree. But things get very twisted and very strange, and it's very hard to follow. By the time I, I finished this study and God finished showing me everything he was showing me, I was like, Man, I've never, I've never seen this. I've never even heard this before. But I believe that a lot of churches, doctrines, people, and governments are working in the spirit of Balaam. All right, continuing in the story. And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of divination in their hand. Now, here's your first clue that he was operating not of God of divination because it says they departed with the rewards of divination. In other words, they were going to pay him to bring about a curse by divination. And, of course, divination is the operation of demonic spirits. Witchcraft. Witchcraft. All right, so with the rewards of divination in their hand. And they came unto Balaam and spake unto him the words of Balak. And he said unto them, Lodge here this night, and I will bring you word again, as the Lord shall speak unto me, and the princes of Moab abode with Balaam. And God came unto Balaam and said, What men are these with thee? So we've got this prophet, per se, and they're telling us that he's working through divination. But if you don't catch that, you might think that he's actually a legit prophet because God comes to him right now and talks to him. But God can talk to anybody. If they need to be corrected or a warning... We see instances in the Old Testament where God spoke to the pagan heathen kings of Egypt and told, warned them, if you hurt Abraham, then you know bad things are going to come on you. So just because God speaks to somebody doesn't mean that they're holy. All right. And Balaam said unto God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, hath sent unto me, saying, Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt, which covereth the face of the earth. Come now, curse me them. Preventure, I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. And God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. And Balaam rose up in the morning and said unto the princes of Balak, Get ye into your land, for the Lord refuseth to give me leave to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose up, and they went to Balak and said, Balaam refuseth to come with us. And Balak sent, yet again, princes, more and more honorable than they. So he's tempting him with some notoriety, with some flattery, with some fluffery. He sent even more notable men. 
and they came to Balak. So at this point, we've got Balak, who's, who's listening to God? I mean, Balaam, who's actually listening to God. God's warning him, and he's obeying, and he's listening. But what is the king doing? He keeps sending more enticement of reward, more notoriety, more money, more temptation. A platform, whatever is necessary to get him to disobey God. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus saith Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I pray thee, hinder thee from coming unto me. For I will promote thee unto very great honor, and I will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Come therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. And Balaam answered and said unto the servant of Balak, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. So he's claiming that's his God. So he's like, okay, you know, God has told me. I'm not going to do it. He's told me, and I fear the Lord and all is well. So right now, he's not a bad dude here. He's obeying. Okay, it's pretty good. Now, therefore, I pray you, tarry ye also here this night, that I may know what the Lord will say unto me more. Oh, he's getting a little tempted by the promises of honor and money. Because instead of being like, get ye behind me, Satan, you got to go because God already told me I can't bless these people. He's basically he's, saying, hang out with me because maybe I should pray a little bit more in yeah, case I miss something. Let, let, let me beg God a little bit because, you know, maybe, maybe I can receive this money. Let, let me just check on this. Hold on. And God came unto Balaam that night and said unto him, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto thee, that shall thou do. And Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. Okay, so God said, if they come in the middle of the night and wake you, go with them and I'm going to give you words, but otherwise don't go. Well, apparently they didn't come because it says that he got up in the morning and saddled up his own donkey and went. So he's getting more and more uh, tempted to act on his own outside of the leading. (laughs) I'm going to tell you all a very funny story at the end of this lesson that you're going to see. You kind of do have that donkey. Dr. Doolittle in the Bible. (laughs) All right, continuing the story. And God's answer was, and God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his donkey, and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. And Balaam smote the donkey and turned her into the way. But the angel of the Lord stood in the path, of the vineyards, a wall being on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself onto the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall, and he smote her again. And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in the narrow place where was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was kindled, and he smote the donkey with his staff. So, like, he's freaking out. His foot is crushed. He's beaten the donkey. He doesn't understand why she's, why she's flipping out, and she's, you know, going crazy. 
short of the goats and sheep donkeys. And the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said unto Balaam, What have I done unto thee, that thou hast smitten me these three times? And Balaam said unto the donkey, he's really mad, he's arguing back. And Balaam said unto the donkey, Because thou hast mocked me, I would there were a sword in my hand, for now would I kill thee. In other That's words, right. if I had a sword, I would kill you. I'm that mad right now. And the donkey said unto Balaam, I am not as am I not thy donkey, upon which thou hast ridden ever since I was thine unto this day, was I ever wont to do so unto thee? And he said, Nay. In other words, have I ever been a problem before today? He's like, no. He's like, as long as you've had me, I've, I've never been a problem. Don't you think that I'm rebuking you for a reason because there's been a, there's something seriously wrong right here? Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and his sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. And the anger of the Lord said unto him, oh, and the angel of the Lord said unto him, Wherefore hast thou smitten thine donkey these three times? Behold, I went out to withstand thee, because thy way is perverse before me. See, he saw the intents of the heart. He was getting tempted by these promises of fame, money, honor, platform, title. He's starting to turn against God. And the donkey saw me and turned from me these three times. Unless she had turned from me, surely now also I had slain thee and saved her alive. So the angel is like, uh, you better thank that donkey that just rebuked you because had she not turned you away, I would have killed you and let the donkey go. And now you're, you know, saying you're going to kill the donkey, but really she saved your life because I was ready to take you out. The anger of the Lord is against you. And Balaam said unto the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. So he's going to repent now because, you know, he's got the fear of the Lord because an angel just said, I was about to kill you. And his donkey talked to him. For I knew not that thou stoodest in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displease thee, I will get me back again. All right, I'm going to turn away. And the angel of the Lord said unto Balaam, Go with the men... But only the word that I shall speak unto thee, that thou shalt speak. So Balaam went and went with the princes of Balak. So he's like, okay, I'm going to let you go, but you're going to only say what I'm telling you to say. And when Balak heard that Balaam was come, he went out to meet him unto a city of Moab, which is in the border of Arnon, which is in the utmost coast. And Balak said unto Balaam, Did I not earnestly send unto thee to call thee? Wherefore camest thou not unto me? Am I not able indeed to perform thee to honor, to promote thee to honor? And Balaam said unto Balak, Lo, I am come unto thee. Have I now any power at all to say anything? The word that God putteth in my mouth, that shall I speak. All right, so he's got the fear of the Lord now. So he's, he's back on track again. He's going, I'm only going to say what God tells me to say. And Balaam went with Balak, and they came unto 
Kirjar Huzoth. That word. And Balak offered oxen and sheep and sent to Balaam and to the princes that were with him. And it came to pass on the morrow that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal, that hence he might see the utmost part of the people. So he took him up to a place that they did pagan sacrifices, but it was a high point that he could see most of the Israelite people down because he wanted him to be able to look on them when he spoke his curse. He, he had an opportunity, and he had a calling, and he had a gifting, but yeah. he kept falling to the temptations of earthly promises. Yeah, he was selling out for fame, money, and platform, which is what a lot of ministries and pastors do. Yeah. And he was, he was falling for it. Okay, so he got off track, got back on track. Right now he's in the on-track phase of the story. So he's telling him, I'm not going to say anything that's not from God, but I'll go with you wherever you want me to go. So God sets up his altars, sets out his sacrifices, puts him in this place above the people. All right, I brought you here. Look at all this stuff I have to offer you. Curse these people. Oh, really? Well, there you go. Maybe God wants you to understand it. <laughs> he's doing a, a, a read-through of the Bible, and it just so happens he's saying that he's, he's on this story, and you just did it. came across something I was looking into. It wasn't a whole story. It was just mentioned male and male. Well, God confirms your word. I've seen Dr. <laughs> You're not in the loop. <laughs> no. It's about to get really good. Me and my kids did, and Balaam and Balak built, uh, yeah, Balaam and Balak, build me here seven altars and prepare me here seven oxen and seven rams. Ba- Balaam was saying that to Balak. Right. right. And Balak did as Balaam had spoken, and Balak and Balaam offered on every altar a bullock and a ram. And Balak said un- Balaam said unto Balak, Stand by thy burnt offering, and I will go, preventure. The Lord will come to meet me, and whatsoever he showeth me, I will tell thee. And he went to an high place. And God met Balaam, and he said unto him, I have prepared seven altars, and I have offered upon every altar a bullock and a ram. And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return unto Balak, and thus thou shalt speak. And he returned unto him, and lo, he stood by his burnt sacrifice, he and all the princes of Moab. And he took up his, and he took up his parable and said, Balak the king of Moab hath brought me from Aram out of the mountains of the east, saying, Come, curse me, Jacob, and come, defy Israel. How shall I curse whom God hath not cursed, or how shall I defy whom the Lord hath not defied. There's very key words in the way that he's speaking here. For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I beheld him, lo, the people shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth port of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and let 
my last end be like his? And Balak said unto Balaam, What hast thou done unto me? I took thee to curse mine enemies, and behold, thou hast blessed them altogether. <laughs> and he answered and said, Must I not take heed to speak that which the Lord hath put in my mouth? And Balak said unto him, Come, I pray thee, with me unto another place, from whence thou mayest see them, thou shalt see but the uttermost part of them, and thou shalt not see them all, and curse me them from thence. And I'm going to take you place even higher, and you're going to see as far as the eye can see, and you still won't even be able to see them all. And then you're going to feel sorry for my problem, and you're going to curse these people. And he brought him into the field of Zophim, to the top of Pisgah, and built seven altars and offered a bullock and a ram on every altar. And he said unto Balak, Stand here by thy burnt offering while I meet with the Lord yonder. And the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, Go again unto Balak and say thus. And when he came to him, behold, he stood by his burnt offering and the prince of Moab with him. And Balak said unto him, What hath the Lord spoken? And he took up his parable and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear. Hearken unto me, thou son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? In other words, do you really think you are going to cause God to change your, his mind? We can beg God to change his mind and give us a chance to one more chance to get an alignment with his will, but we can't ask him to change his will to ours. It doesn't work that way. He might, he, he might have mercy and give you another chance to line up with his will, but he's never going to well, align his will with yours. Like that because even Jesus said, you know, uh, if it be possible, let this go. But it's not possible. But nevertheless, thine will be done. Remember, it's not wrong to ask God for something, but the idea of this principle it was a continual, willful rebellion. He knew God's will. He knew God's will, and he kept on, and he kept on, kept coming back. No, no, but he kept on, and kept on. God is like, never going to change his will like for hours. God's will is perfect. Time that Balaam had to say, dude, I'm only going to tell you what God has told me. And Balak is just... Because the point is, is God's will is perfect. Right. God does things for reasons. He's never going to change his will for our will. Right. He's got a reason for what he's doing. He's got the perfect way. We can't assume ourselves to be more knowledgeable than God to say, hey, I think I know better. Let's try it this way. There is a severity when you know God's will to continue to move against it. So if you don't know, then that's different. God has grace and has mercy when we're learning. But once he's made it clear, you need to submit and obey and stop walking in rebellion. He says, behold, I have received a commandment. Not words, but a command. There you go. He knows. That's right. That's that's good. That's a good point. Behold, I have received a commandment to bless. There you go. And he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. He hath not beheld iniquity, and this is key to note this. He hath not, he as in God, hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. Let me read that again because this is too good. This is, this is the culmination 
of his explanation of what has just been spoken to him. He says, He hath not beheld any iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. In other words, right now, I have the fear of the Lord, and I'm not going to stand against what he has spoken. Because there is no iniquity, I cannot curse them. This is key. It doesn't matter what power Balak thought Balaam had. If there was no iniquity, then they were blessed by God and there was no power of the enemy against them. There was no open door. There was no access point. If there is that telling you that having knowledge, if there was iniquity, then there would be a precedent for being cursed. Had there, pos- had there been iniquity, there would have been an open door and Balak would have been able to... But he couldn't curse them even if he wanted to Unless because God they were protected. But that's the point. It goes back to iniquity and righteousness. God brought them out of Egypt. He had, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. Um, Surely there is no enchantment against Jacob, neither is there any divination against Israel. According to this time, it shall be said of Jacob and of Israel... What hath God wrought? Behold, the people surely rise up as a great lion and lift up himself as a young lion. He shall not lie down until he eat of the prey and drink of the blood of the slain. And Balak said unto Balaam, Neither curse them at all, nor bless them at all. He's like, okay, just shut up. If you're not going to curse them, then at least don't bless them. Just shut up. But Balaam answered and said unto Balak, Told not I thee, saying, All that the Lord speaketh, that I must do? And Balak said unto Balaam, Come, I pray thee, I will bring thee unto another place, preventure. It will please God that thou mayest curse me them from thence. Oh my gosh. All right? You steal at it. That's my point. That's one thing. He's trying, okay, here's the thing. Balak is trying to buy off God. He's like, okay, if we take you to enough really cool places and sacrifice enough animals and build enough altars, then surely God's going to like me more and let me curse these people. Because, you know, he's used to buying people off, so he thinks God can be bought off. And Balak brought Balaam unto the top of Pur that looketh toward Jeshimon. Jeshimon. And Balaam said unto Balak, Build me here seven altars and prepare me here seven bullocks and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had said and offered a bullock and a ram on every altar. And when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he went not as at other times to seek for enchantments, but he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and he saw Israel abiding in his tents according to their tribes and the Spirit of God came upon him. So he's like, okay, at this point I know that it pleases God to bless Israel. So since he's a man that seeks to be lifted up, he's like, okay, well, maybe I can get on God's side now because I'm blessing these people, so I'm not even going to seek God for another word. I think I know that he wants to bless them. So he looks towards the people and falls into a trance, basically, and gets a vision. Can I ask a question? Mm Mm-hmm. What made this dude build so unique, so special to God? That's the point. He was known in this place of being a person that could cast spells, basically. So they hired him, but God wouldn't allow him 
to cast spells, and he couldn't do it. And that's what he kept trying to tell them. If God doesn't allow it and there's no iniquity, there's no access point, I can't curse them anyway. You can't send divination. Divination is the control of demonic forces. You can't send demons after somebody that is not sinning because they have no access point. So he's like, there's nothing I can do to these people anyway, but they, they couldn't get it through their head that the power was not in him. The power was in God no, and well, really the demonic. The was in the Israelites whether or not they were holy. Right. They, but they didn't seem to understand that. They didn't understand how divination really worked. So he kept... Because salvation has so much sin going on. Yeah. It, 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 it leaves us, the door open for... We have a hole in the wall. I think we have the whole wall down there. Yeah. Your nation... It's pretty much the walls now. Yeah. Your nation, your church, your family, yourself. Sin is the access point. Um, in... Again, this is not scripture, this is not biblical, but in uh, rabbinical tradition taken from the, um, the Talmud, which is basically the text that the rabbis have to learn to become a rabbi, it's kind of like a commentary of the Torah, of the Old Testament. They, they teach that he was basically on par with Moses. He was basically like an anti-Moses, you know, as far as until his fall. Had he not fallen, he would have been in their teaching, basically equal to Moses. But because he fell, then he was like the anti-Moses, like a Christ and an anti-Christ. Again, that's not recorded in strict scripture. That's the rabbi's teaching. Um, all right, finishing the story, it says, And he took up his parable and said, Balaam the son of Gore hath said, And a man whose eyes are open hath said, because he's having a vision, Apparently, this is his first legit vision because after this point, he starts giving himself titles of the man whose eyes have been opened. So he, he got a new badge for this. Hath said, which heard the words of God. Kind of reminds me of the, the, the ministers that want to give themselves a 15-word title. Um, bishop, seer, pastor, doctor. evangelist, doctor, chief apostle. Chief apostle, exactly. You know, I, I, I prophesied one time, so I can now add prophet to my title listings. You know, he, he got one vision, so now he can add the man who sees, whose eyes have been opened. Every time he does, it's like his name is now his resume. Yeah. <laughs> All right. He hath said, which heard the words of God, which saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance, but having his eyes open. How goodly are thine tents, O Jacob, and thy tabernacle, O Israel, as the valleys are thy spread forth, as gardens by the riverside, as the trees of Ling Aloes, which the Lord hath planted, and as cedar trees beside the waters. He shall pour the water out of his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters, and his king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdoms shall be exalted. God brought him forth out of Egypt. He hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. He shall eat up the nations, his enemies. He shall break their bones and pierce them through with his arrows. He's having this vision about the strength of Israel. He croucheth, he layeth down as a lion and as a great lion. Who shall stir him up? Blessed is he that blessed thee, and cursed is he that cursed thee. And Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam, and he smote his hands together, 
And Balak said unto Balaam, I called thee to curse mine enemies, and behold, thou hast altogether blessed them these three times. All right, so I think he's getting the point now. Therefore now flee thou to thy place. I thought to promote thee unto great honor, but lo, the Lord hath kept thee back from honor. And boy, that's arrogance, huh? He's like, I was going to promote you to real honor, but God has kept you from honor. Because you have obeyed God, you have given up the honor of being honored by me. He, you know, that's, that's pretty, pretty blatant. Yeah, Balaam goes pretty self-absorbed. Yeah. And Balaam said unto Balak, Spake I not also to thy messengers which thou sent to me, saying, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the commandment of the Lord to do either good or bad of mine own mind. But what the Lord saith, that will I speak. And now, behold, I go unto my people. Come, therefore, and I will advertise thee what this people shall do to thy people in the latter days. And he took up his parable and said, Balaam, son of Beor, hath said. And the man whose eyes were opened hath said. He's got a new title. He hath said which heard the words of God and knew the knowledge of the Most High, which saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance, but having his eyes opened. You can kind of get a taste even more in that verse for his desire of notoriety, his seeking of... He said that he said. Yeah, this is his... He gives you a two-paragraph announcement of himself of before he gives this prophecy. He is puffing his own self up. He's setting his own stage and platform. This is a man that has a problem, that wants to be noticed. He wants position. He wants platform. He wants notoriety. He wants fame. He, he's going to give a prophecy that God has given him, and he can't do it without giving himself a two-paragraph announcement of his greatness. You get a glimpse into his heart, his real character. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corner of Moab and destroy all the children of Seth. We can stop here. You can finish this, but for the sake of time, we're going to go ahead and stop. He just continues to to give an explanation of what he sees ahead for the Israelite people. All right, now, jump ahead to the next chapter. Go to 25, verse 1. We've got to cover something that happens here. So at this point, we've got basically what most people consider the story of Balak and Balaam which is why some people would consider him to be a pretty good guy because in the end he ended up speaking the word of the Lord and all is well. Well, then you've got some people who call him Balak the diviner and he's got a really bad taste in your mouth and then you start to see his name pop up in the New Testament with a bad connotation. So what really happened? So you've got the Israelites who were blessed of God could not be cursed. He spoke blessings upon them because really he wasn't blessing or cursing. He was just speaking the will of God. He was speaking what God was already doing because of their actions. Because God said that he found no iniquity in them. They were already blessed. Remember the verse that I opened with in Deuteronomy was the Lord telling them, I give you a choice. Blessings and cursings, life and death. Choose you this day. As long as they choose to be righteous, they are blessed and they cannot be cursed. They are protected. And more than protected, God actually turned the curses of their enemies around to more blessings. So the things the enemy meant to harm them, God turned to help them as long as they were righteous. Now, you jump ahead and you hear all of these wonderful things and you can read the rest of the chapter that he speaks over them 
And then the next thing you know, you start chapter 25, and something weird is going on. Um, can I just ask this? Mm -hmm. Where are they, like on a map? Because every name in this foreign land is a name of a demon. Is this like what used to be the land of Nod? This is what used to be around the areas of uh, Canaan which at that time were lands inhabited by the half-breeds, the, the children of the Nephilim. So in Jewish tradition, when the Raphim died, their spirits became demons. So many of the, in Satanism, what they call the names of the demons, they kept the names of the original entity that housed it. So you've got, for example, throughout the Bible, it talks about Anak and the children of Anak the Anakim which is interesting enough where this name Anakin comes from, from the Star Wars series, because his father didn't know who his father was. He was a half-breed. So you've got, basically in the biblical traditions, the fallen in Genesis 6 that came, and then you had the half-breeds, which were the giants of old, Goliath, all of those. They were the great men, the men of renown. All right, now in the Jewish tradition, that's where your demons came from. Fallen angels and demons are different. Fallen angels were created from God. The demons were the spirits of the half-breeds that could not go to heaven or hell because, or stay, they stay on earth until the judgment, the final judgment. So, making sense, that's why a lot of the satanic traditions keep the names of these people and places for the names of their entities because when that in person or whatever giant died, its spirit became demons. Yeah. All right. For, <laughs> Quick sense. Everybody's just like, I'm like <laughs> mind blown. I'm trying to give a really quick synopsis yeah, because yeah. that would be a whole lesson in and of itself. I've heard all the details, but that was a very, a very fine summarization. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now, when we get to chapter 25, and I'm going to try to run through this because I know we're we're starting to run late. But when you get to chapter 25, things start to change, and I'm only going to go a couple of verses in before I have to stop and explain what's actually taking place here. <clears throat> All right, it says, And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. So they ended up staying in this region, that this area that they were, uh, Balak was trying to get them rid of. So they started staying around, and then eventually they began to commit whoredom with the daughters of the Moabite people. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. So the locals start inviting the Israelites to their parties and to their charismatic, really fun church services to yeah, eat. Hey, it's, hey, it's just for the free food. Come on, you can, you can eat this. But the problem is, is they're eating uh, food sacrificed to idols and they're like well hey since you're here eating our food why don't you go ahead and take part and Israel joined himself unto Baal poor and the anger of the Lord was kindled against him and the Lord said unto Moses take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel and Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay ye every one this his man that were joined unto Baal Peor. So in other words, everyone who that participated, remember they were they were committing whoredom and they were participating and consuming 
and then worshiping because they and worship and they bowed their knee. All right, so right, they took port. They took part of the world. They they you know they 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 had fun. All right, and so God told Moses, go and take the heads of every one of them that did this. Turn their face to the sun. And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses. Okay, now check this out. Okay, so this is at their, their temple. In the sight of Moses, one of the guys comes up with one of these harlots that they're defiling Israel with in the face, in the sight of Moses in front and brings her to the brethren. In the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So they're doing this at the tabernacle. And when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into his tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. So the plague was saved uh, from the children of Israel. And those that died in the plague were 20 and 4,000. So God had cursed them with the plague. He got so mad, he dropped the plague on them. Not Aaron. Not Eleazar. Phineas. Aaron's grandson. Um, so basically what happens here is they take, this is all going on. There's a plague that has fallen. God has cursed the people. You've got some of the people who are weeping before the tabernacle, begging God for mercy, and yeah. some of them who are still That's participating. That's part of worship. There's still yeah, some that are, that are, there are some that are still participating in the sin, and one comes up with the Midianish night, nightish woman, one of the harlots, in front of the face of Moses, in front of the tabernacle and all of the weeping people, and brings her in, and one of the men takes her into his tent, and it angers the grandson of Aaron so much that he jumps up in the midst of their service, grabs a javelin, and goes and sticks it through both of them. Let's see yeah, what went through the belly too. Notice that. I don't know if y'all caught right. that. Right. went through yeah. the belly of the woman. Because if through the whoredom, then there was offspring. Ain't no offspring now. So go on. Keep going, Brian. Yeah, go on to the next. The next two verses explain something really good. Yeah, this is what God thought about Phineas's behavior. For those who would say that uh, this is out of order for you to interrupt the service, to stop something that is displeasing to God, this is what God thought of Phineas's uh, random outburst. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel, while he was zealous for my sake among them, that I consumed not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Wherefore, say, behold, I give unto him my covenant of and he said, and he shall have it, and his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made an atonement for the children of Israel. All right, and you can stop there. God was very pleased. Basically, 
when he said that I was jealous for Israel. They were committing whoredom with other gods and with the women of this other culture, and they were worshiping other gods and consuming the sacrifices. God says, they're cheating on me, and I am jealous for them. And when this man jumped up in anger and defended God's jealousy, it appeased his heart that somebody was zealous for him the way he was jealous for them. And it stayed his anger, and he lifted the plague, though 24,000 had already died in the plague. And God blessed him with an everlasting priesthood. Okay, now at this point we have to say, okay, so what happened to Balaam? He's just been going out of the picture. Was there a hand up? Oh, okay, I thought somebody had a hand up for a question. Um, but there's an interesting thing that took place here. We see that the people were protected as when they were righteous. But when they began to break the commandments of God and sin, they lost that protection and immediately became cursed. But there's some kind of trickery going on here. The story is that Balaam, behind the scenes, not recorded here, but I'm going to show you elsewhere. Balaam, behind the scene, had gone back to Balak. And he's like, you know how you wanted to give me lots of title and money and position and platforms and all that stuff? I know how to get it. If you'll give me that stuff, then I, I know how to, to win these people. You can't curse them because they're righteous, but you can get them to curse themselves. So what you got to do is you got to dress your women up real nice and send a bunch of harlots out to them. And then once they get enticed and start falling into whoredom, get them to come and worship other gods and they'll curse themselves and God will get angry at them and you'll be able to take them out. He sold out. He knew God. He knew the righteousness. He knew the right way. He knew God's commandments, just like a lot of ministers do. But for position, for title, for platform, for whatever promise he was given, he sold out. And he turned on the people and he became an intentional stumbling block to the Israelites. That's why the definition of his name has ever since then become he who causes a people to fall. It was his fault. And if you'll jump ahead to Numbers 33, verse 13, you'll see a hint of where that comes from. And Moses and Eleazar the priest and all the princes of the congregation went forth to meet them without the camp. Okay, now this is to give you a little background. This is later on in the story when they've killed, they've gone to war and they've killed all the Midianite men. And the people had chosen to keep the Midianite women. And Moses was very angry with them. And so not to make a scene within the camp, he goes and calls them outside the camp and chews them out. And so him and the priest and the princes of the congregation, and they all go and meet outside the camp. And this is what he tells them. And Moses was wroth with the officers of the host, with the captains of over thousands and captains over hundreds, which came from the battle. And Moses said unto them, Have ye saved all the women alive? Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of pure. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. So he brought the false flag. So when I'm telling you, like when, when I started to un- uncover, I never really, I never knew all this. I knew the general story of Balaam and Balaam. Okay. So basically, you've got 
Balaam's fault. He did this. He intentionally did this yeah. for gain. Now, now, you don't have to go there. It's one verse. I'm going to read it. But in Joshua chapter 13, verse 22, it recorded the death of Balaam. It says, Balaam also, the son of Beor, the soothsayer, did the children of Israel slay with the sword among them that were slain by them. So in this attack on this city or whatever, they, they, they killed him. All right, now. Here's where it gets really, really interesting. I'm going to try to get through this really quick. I know we've gone over. Danny, jump. Uh, some people do. we got to be at the school in the morning. Um, go to Revelation 22, I mean, Revelations 2, verse 11. Now, quick synopsis of what's going on here. Jesus comes to John the Revelator, starts to give him uh, words for the seven churches of Asia. He gives a different word for each church. Now, when he comes to this particular church, he gives them a very strange word. He says in chapter 2, verse 11, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Okay, keep going. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which had the sharp sword, with two edges, which was Jesus, if you read back in a little bit. Jesus had the two-edged sword, the word. I know thy works. Now, Jesus is talking to this church, and he says, I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and thou hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful mortar who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. Okay, go two more verses, and then we'll talk about this a little more. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of Nicolaitans, uh, and which things I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So Jesus does not like the doctrine of Balaam. He says, if I'm going to give you an opportunity, because in the past you have served me, but right now you have the doctrine of Balaam that caused a stumbling block to intentionally be cast before. You caused my people to sin for gain. You told them to do what they wanted to do and you helped them do it. You didn't give them the truth. So I'm giving you the chance right now. Repent or I'm coming after you with the sword of my mouth. That's what most churches are doing. That's what a lot of ministers are doing. That's what a lot of governments are doing. Well, really, the compromise uh, for notoriety, uh, big, bigger churches, and more, a bigger salary. Yeah. Basically, and there's two more mentions of it. I'm going to go ahead and give you my conclusion because I know it's getting late. And then for those that want to stay, we'll go through the last two mentions of it in the New Testament. But basically what it boils down to, the spirit of or the doctrine of Balaam, uh, is 
any person or those that know the truth and still choose to cause men to disobey and mock God for gain, be it a paycheck, a position, a platform, or for praise. This is the essence of the spirit or the doctrine of Balaam. Like Balaam, these individuals cause God's people to eat up idolatry and joy in spiritual adultery, reveling and cheating on God, even in the very house of God, until a Phineas rises up, a priest zealous for the Lord, and pierces the heart of the wicked with the word of God, the two-edged sword. The only way to defeat the spirit or the doctrine of Balaam is with the sword, the yeah, word, the true word of God. Now, what we see in life really made clear to me that with the ones to be in control, they're using sin like abortion. And right, they're doing it intentionally to, it to, to provoke God. They do that intentionally to bring the curse on us. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's obvious. It's to the point now they're like, okay, we need America to be destroyed. We can't do it. Okay, we'll get them to destroy themselves. We'll get all these things passed. We'll invoke the wrath of God, and then God will himself weaken it enough with his anger. Towards the mid-19, you know, that would prayer out of school, even rock and roll before that, you see the degradation. If you go back and you study the Roman Empire, oh, yeah. Rome was never defeated by an outside force. Rome imploded. Yeah. Rome destroyed itself. And yes, if you yes. look at Rome and you look at what America is doing now, mm. you see the same scenario setting up. Mm. Rome, America is destroying herself by the laws. That's right. Uh, by forcing people, forcing the pe will of the government on the will of the people. Mm. And you can see it in everything that you do. All you have to do is stop for a little while and look. Our religious rights are being taken away from oh, yeah. us. Yeah. I tell my girls at the prison all the time, get my bumper ready. So you've got it on international levels, you've yeah. got it on national letters, levels, you've got it on denominational levels, you've got it on church levels, and you've got it on individual levels. Going through this lesson, as I went through it, I realized God that was doing it to show me, to identify a spirit that I've come against several times before, because I'm going to give you a quick little little story. You made a joke about, well, we need one of those talking donkeys. Well, yeah, God's still poking fun at me. Because for those that were there, and I'm not going to mention any names for the podcast's sake, so don't mention names, but some of you were there, some no, and some were not. Right. But there was an instance, an incident in a church where the leadership of the church was away on vacation. We know the church well. We've ministered there a lot. We've gone there a lot. Um, somebody else had gotten a guest speaker to come in. This, I didn't know who the speaker was but God was stirring my spirit. I knew it wasn't good. Uh, going through this now, I realized that it was the spirit of Balaam, but I didn't understand what God was trying to show me at the time. I just knew that this was a false prophet and that it was very dangerous. The service began. He was puffing people up. He was fleecing them for money. He was giving all these lies. He was performing all these miracles and all this stuff, giving prophecies. Oh, yeah, that's what I want to hear stuff. Okay, well, as the people began to really give into this and, and laugh and take fun and have fun, they began to partake of the idols. They began to join in the party. They began to have fun. I felt in my spirit a stirring, a stirring, and I felt the jealousy of God as if he was watching his bride cheat on him in front of his face. This is what was happening here. The zealousness stirred up. The Phineas rose up, got up, gave a public rebuke, got in trouble for it, but later was validated in that everything that was given was proven and came forth and came true. It was all cleared later. 
Anyway, basically, before the words that were given were proven, I was in my, re my correction for it. I was told that, well, if God really wanted to rebuke him, there were older prophets there that could have done it. God would have told them. And my reply was, maybe God was trying to, but they just weren't listening. You know, if God has to, he'll speak through a donkey. He'll use whatever is available and obedient. Ironically. Ironically. And I was just thinking, okay, you know, in the Bible, God said he talked through a donkey, so it doesn't have to be an old person. It, exactly. it was whatever was obedient and available. Exactly. Well, later, as God kept affirming and confirming and reaffirming this word, he kept constantly sending ministers to minister about Balaam. And I didn't understand at the point what this was about. And so after a while, I started to realize, okay, he's calling this man Balaam, which is a false prophet. So I'm like, okay, I understand that. And then I was like, oh, okay, God. And I rebuked him like Balaam's donkey. So you're calling me a donkey. That's funny. Ha-ha. <laughs> so... I was like, I see what you did there. You think you're funny. Not really. But, I think it's hilarious. So when Daddy said when we started, he was like, well, we need one of those talking donkeys. I was like, huh, you're still being funny. We got one. So later on, it was the donkey that got to have the king You're right. That's true. That's true. And, you know, even when we're reading through the story, I'm laughing because the donkey's like, haven't I been good all these years? Have I, I've never done anything like this before. And that was kind of part of my argument after God made me give this, this public rebuke. I was like, well, you know, I've been going here for years and I've never done anything like this before. You know? So he, he's still, God is still just getting giggles and kicks out of the whole, you're a donkey thing. <laughs> Sometimes it's good to be stubborn as a mule. But anyway, um, Go ahead, Danny, and uh, for those that want to stay in here, go to Jude 1. There's only one chapter. I want you to read the entire, there's only one chapter in the book. Go ahead and read it loud so that it comes up on the recording and read me the entire chapter because we're going to look a little deeper into the characteristics of this uh, spirit. Yeah, basically at this point we've covered the gist, you get the idea. If you need to go for people that got to get up early in the morning, you can go and you're not going to miss much. But for those that want to stay, we're going to cover two more uh, instances of this, this doctrine of Balaam showing up in the New Testament so we can get a little more grasp on exactly what the characteristics are. All right, uh, read it loud, Danny said for the recording. Okay. Uh, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ, and called mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all, di all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered. In other words, there's the times sex. when you're going to have to fight for the faith. Sometimes yeah. you're going to have to be a, a Phineas. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Lasciviousness is intentional wickedness, which goes back to the spirit of Balaam because he knew better, but he did it anyway. So turning the grace of God into 
the right to sin or it's okay to sin or God's all love, his grace, he's going to cover you, don't worry about it. Lascivious means doing something that you know is wrong but still doing it anyway. So turning the grace of God into the right to sin, basically. So we're going a little deeper into what the doctrine of Balaam is as opposed to, say, the spirit. Well, at this point, it's all denominations. um, There's so much... Right, there's so much of... Now remember, the spirit of Balaam was more to the the side of the false prophet that was uh, causing people to stumble for gain. Now you're looking more towards the doctrine or the teachings of uh, Balaam. Uh, just for the podcast, we do believe we're saved by grace through faith. Yeah. But we're saying we don't believe that grace gives us the right to see Right. Shall we say then, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? How were we that are dead to sin live any longer therein. Alright. Yeah. Go ahead and continue more more <clears throat> characteristics of this doctrine of Balaam. Alright. Verse 5. I will th- I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Okay, and basically what he's doing, he's giving examples of times right. where God had saved people. They were his people. They were good people. They but they fell. chose to, to go back to sin and they failed. So he's saying you right. can't turn grace into an excuse for sin right. because look at all of these examples of people that were saved, more or less. You know, they were good people. They were God's people. They right. were saved from Egypt. They were saved, even the angels who were in heaven. Once they sinned, they fell again, and God had no mercy on them. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, going after and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things in which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of court. Okay, now stop. The gainsaying, back it up. We're going to look at this a little more. Okay, that all of these people that do all of these things, that teach that you can use grace as an excuse to sin, all of these people that are guilty of all of these sins listed before, they have gone in the way of Cain and have run greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward. Balaam's error was that he wanted a platform, he wanted fame, he wanted notoriety, he wanted money, he wanted all these things, and for that he caused the people to stumble. He gave them an excuse to sin, he let them sin, he gave them whoredom, he gave them idolatry, he gave them spiritual adultery for gain. That is the error of Balaam, and all of these people that do these things are guilty of it also. And to continue, it says, and perished in the gainsay of Kor. Kor was the name of the woman 
family and the, the place she was from that was speared through when uh, Phineas rose up and and got vengeance. You can go ahead and finish the chapter, I think. You're at the end. These are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out of their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all of their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they that told you they should be mockers in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some have compassion, making a difference, and others saved with, with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Now, one of the things you see coming up over and over and over and over and over when you deal with this Balaam spirit thing going on is that it's a mocking spirit. You will see it over and over, and they mocked, and they mocked. He mocked God. He caused the people to mock God when they went in the very, I mean, think about the, the mockery of what was being done. At the very temple itself, they yeah. went to the house of God with whoredom, with yeah. the spiritual adultery, and, and did it at the house. They were mocking God, and some people were weeping about it, and some were raveling with it and taking part in it. And it was the zealousness of a jealous God being felt mm -hmm. by the zealousness of the priest that caused him to... Yeah stay God's anger, but it was a mocking spirit. It was done in mockery. I'm going to be honest with you, at least in the American churches, most of them are following this spirit and doctrine. Because even in a lot of your, most of your charismatic churches nowadays, they're moving more towards, it's all God's love, it's just his presence, it's just we're going to have fun, we're going to have a party. There's more mockery of the Holy Spirit going on than actual operations of the Holy Spirit. So this spirit has taken over. It's it's really bad. Yeah. Um, sure. Go ahead and read the whole chapter because I don't know where it ends. So just go ahead and this will be the last one that we do. The whole chapter in Second Peter. Second Peter, or until we until you read something about Balaam, then you can stop. Okay. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there even as there <laughs> shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. 
and many shall follow their per, uh, per, pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. Ooh. Mm. Does yeah. this not sound like Balaam? He's saying that through their word, through their vanities, through their deceit, they're actually making merchandise of you. It's yeah. not about your soul. It's about what they can profit from you. Yeah. It's about gain. Judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into the chains of darkness, to be reserved unto judgment, and God spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them with an overflow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just lot, vexed with filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing, vexed in his righteousness, in his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. I'd like to stop right there because those that say, oh, well, God's a loving God, he'd never send anyone to hell. I mean, if he should be in That's kind of the point being yeah, made. God spared not the angels that sin, but cast them to hell. You can give them those type of people that. And then when they say God would not, he's too loving to send someone to hell. The problem is God doesn't send them to hell. No, right. They send themselves. Exactly. Right. Just right. like the Israelites weren't cursed by God, they right. cursed themselves with their iniquity. They opened the door to Satan. Going back to the wages of sin. Now, the, the doctrine of Balaam is a trickery to get them to accept this sin so that they can be cursed. They're cursing themselves. Right. And again, you're going back to this started out with false prophets, false teachers, false doctrines, and they're, they're being teaching false things, which again just comes back to encouraging people to sin and what it said in Revelation, causing them to cast a stumbling block. Yeah, I'd like to say this, because um, we get tired, you know, the false prophets and stuff because the Word of God is so plain. Yeah, I don't know how more simple you can get. Yeah. Well, one thing you'll notice about a false prophet or a false teacher is that they try to make it seem so complicated that you can't understand it, so you just got to take them at their word. Ooh, right. they're really smart. They've got this figured out. And really, if you really listen to what they're saying, it's usually very yeah. stupid. Yeah. The Like you said, gospel is plain. Yeah, so plain is right there. The, yeah. the word says... <laughs> Uh, yeah. Exactly. Most people don't read the Bible and know the Bible. That's the problem. Like Jim Jones, he reached all these people because they didn't know their Bible. Because right. if they didn't know their Bible, it was a fail fast. That's what happened with the Protestant Reformation. Once it was translated to common language, then they could read it and they knew that Martin Luther, you ain't crazy. We've no. been deceived. Yeah, yeah, it's simple. Jim Jones, the sad thing was, he knew that. Yeah. He, he was a Balaam. Yeah. Right. He knew better. Yeah. Pray for the gift of discernment, but also, like somebody had mentioned last time we were talking about discernment, I think Will or somebody, you can, even if you don't have a strong gift of discernment, you can still discern through the Word. You can still read your Bible enough to know the character of God, to know that this is not in the character of God, so something is, something is wrong. Go ahead, Danny, and finish reading, because this will be our, our closing. Uh, 
and just keep continuing from where you were. All right. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these, as, a, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are, and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceiving while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and the heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way, and are gone astray, both following the way of Balaam, the son of Boser, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb donkey, speaking with a man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them who live in error. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. Okay, if you go back a verse, you'll notice what it's really saying there is that they allure away those who have already escaped. In other words, those who were saved, those who were right, those who were righteous, these are the people that they deceive and yeah. lure back. Lure They're back. taking those who are already right in God's eyes and causing them to stumble. They're creating a stumbling block. They're, they're bringing them back. They're feasting among them. They're pretending to be Christian. They're pretending to be righteous. They're pretending to be prophets. Remember, this started out being about false prophets and false teachers. Right. So those that follow in the, the spirit, the doctrine, the error of Balaam, all these different things, it's always about Balaam. He knew what he was doing. He did it deceitfully for gain, to make merchandise of men, and it was all about deceit, getting them to curse themselves, getting them to lose their salvation. Not only can you lose your salvation, but there are people out there intentionally trying to get you to do it for selfish gain. That's why, if you notice in all of these New Testament examples, right before or right after it says that they were working in the doctrine of Balaam, it says they are spots in your feast of charity. They are blemishes. They are dirtying the white dress of the bride of Christ. This, let, me, let me finish two verses. And this is it. This go is ahead, amazing. go for it. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they're saved, yes. they are again entangled therein and overcome the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Now, continuing, for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness to be saved, then after they that have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, that the dog is returned to his own vomit again, and the sow 
that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. It don't yeah. get any more clear than that. You can lose your salvation. Yeah. To think that just gives you a license to sin, to do whatever you want. It's yeah. all good. You see, that is the spirit of Balaam. Those who do right and refuse to do it. That's right. And to teach others to be a stumbling block to others who are doing right to, to do wrong and tell them that they're going to be okay for it. The whole purpose of the Bible is to keep us on track because it says he's coming back for a pure and spotless bride. And we're constantly trying to dirty our wedding dress. The Holy Spirit's job is to help us keep it clean. Well, the church is operating in the spirit of Balaam when the rapture happens. They playing in the mud. And they, they, they ain't going to see anything crazy. They'll just walk out and go. No, and and if you notice the difference in Revelations, for example, in the first church, um, I forget which one it is, but it's the first church that they address, that he says, I have something against you. You have left your first love. Yeah. And then that's the one he, he tells them. He says, repent quickly or I'll come and remove my candlestick from you. Yeah. But this church, which is the second or third church, he says, but I have something against you. You are operating in the doctrine of Balaam. You better repent now or I'm coming with the sword of my mouth. In other words, I'm coming with wrath. The other one was, you're going to lose your salvation. You really should fix it. This one is, you're making me angry. I'm coming to destroy you. So this spirit, you know, it it, yeah, it, it makes him jealous for his bride. It, it brings the wrath of God. It brings a curse. So what started out as me trying to research a lesson on blessings and cursing, though we see what is bringing a curse, what's bringing a curse on the nation, yeah. on the world, on the church. It's bad, and it's the spirit of Balaam. That's right. Thank you for listening to Heart of Worship Church podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.